Thank you for tuning in to the best parenting show on the internet. Post Daily Dose. Hey there, Post Institute. This is Christy Saul, the co-founder, coming at you live with another episode of Post Daily Dose, the best little parenting show on the internet. I hope everybody's doing well tonight. Going to plug these books real quick while folks are signing in. Uh, Brian's book, From Fear to Love, that you can get uh, at the website on promotion, Fear to Love Book. Dot com. You can also find it at postinstitute.com as well as Amazon. And then uh, this book right here, The Great Behavior Breakdown. On our website, we have, the <laughs> we have these two bundled together that you can get at a little discount. And then we have this book right here, this workbook, which is incredible. Um, the Great Be or, I'm sorry, the Fear to Love workbook is available at postinstitute.com as well as uh, Amazon as well. So, my topic tonight actually stems from last night's Post Daily Dose. We talked, we're, our topic this week in general has to do with stepping outside of the dominant story of parenting that says consequences, rewards, corporal punishment, other forms of punishment as being a primary way of teaching our children. And what? how do we teach if we're not using consequences and rewards and punishment? Um, so this is a little, this topic is a, hey Carrie, glad you could be here during the live. Um, and thank you for coming back and watching last night. I really appreciate it. I appreciate you. Um, just, I appreciate you quite a lot. <laughs> so, um, this, uh, the topic that we're going to talk about tonight actually came out of um, one of the comments that was made related to last night's Post Daily Toast. And I did respond in the comments, but I just felt like it was a really good topic for us to address. And so the topic is about violence, our children being physically violent, physically aggressive out of nowhere. Now, let me just say, um, Brian says, and I agree that most behavior challenges are predictable. So most of the time, behavior challenges are predictable. Uh, it's not always easy easy to predict that unless you're really attuned and got your finger on the pulse. It might even take some charting. Um, that's uh, on our website. Uh, there's a freebie that we really talked about a lot during the first of the year, but the freebie includes this one particular handout that is, hey, Amy, that's called a mood tracker. And it's like there's 365 squares on it. Uh, is something that my daughter actually showed me about three or four years ago, and her and her peers have been doing this. Um, it's color-coded, and you just color in the square. You get to create your own code for what different colors represent, and you color your little square every day, and you can even use more than one color. We found that out, that you can even use more than one color because a bad morning doesn't necessarily mean a bad day or whatever term. I don't necessarily think of things as being always good or bad. Sometimes it's complicated or sometimes there's a challenge or sometimes, you know, there's an interruption. Sometimes there's like a flat tire and you feel like it's a bad thing, but you know, maybe it's helping you avoid a car wreck. So maybe it's not a bad thing. 
So anyway, you can use that. One of the things that I like about that is at a glance, it gives you a way to see trends. So being able to see trends can also be helpful because when we are talking about aggressive behavior, uh, depression, anxiety, uh, suicidal ideation, destruction of property, these things that are really more amped up, it can be helpful. The predictability of it can sometimes, it, it's easier possibly to predict if you have a way that you're tracking because, you know, life happens fast and it doesn't just stop and slow down for us to be like, how did that happen? What happened? So remember what Brian always says is Z is the behavior and we have the whole alphabet ahead of that to be able to identify why, what may have been the precipice or the, the instigation, the stimulus to the challenging behavior. So, but tonight we're talking specifically about uh, violent behavior that seems to come out of nowhere. And so I actually want to read the comment and then I want to talk about it a little bit. Um, the comment, basically what it says is I have a 13-year-old daughter. She's um, Her emotional age is about five. So that's a lot. That's a pretty big gap. I don't know if there are any cognitive delays or not, but there may be. Um, she's been with this family for about four and a half years. So that means that there have been, um, we just go nine years and nine months. So about nine years, nine years of living and nine months in the womb, nine years and nine months. She's been in this current home for four and a half years, a very complex trauma and behaviors, uh, who loves conflict and explosion. I'm, I'm not sure about loving it, but it may just be how she operates. So I'm just reading what it says and then kind of interjecting here and there. How do we respond when she charges me out of the blue, really sudden, and I can see triggers and she, and I'm uh, the trigger, I can see triggers and help her usually, but these sudden ones are occurring and scary and she instantly denies that she's done it. She charges at me, pushes me into the corner, and then punches me in the face. What should my or our response be? We're preparing for um, a really rough six months with her as she goes back to court and her case. And she is uh, in first year of high school. So, obviously, there is a significant history of trauma there have been lots of different placements. Um, she's in foster care. Um, there's a pending court date, and she's also in high school. I don't know how long this behavior's been going on. So um, I want to I want to just tell you, because this was such a great little, I mean, there was, I thought there was a great exchange. My response, my first response was to say, I would recommend you start doing some journaling to see if there are patterns, time of day before or after anything in particular. It sounds very regressed, like an upset, angry toddler and an element of disassociation. Is there a correlation between the start of the behavior and the announcement of the pending court date? So that was what I wrote. And then uh, somebody, a follower also replied and said, journaling, this poor woman needs real help. And I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more with that statement. 
when you're in the throes of it, when you're in the throes of it and somebody says journaling, I don't mean like necessarily journaling in terms of like writing your whole memoirs. I mean like journaling, almost like charting. Like we have to be able to find out. There's so much going on um, to be able to see if we can put our finger on the pulse of what it is that might be the predictability piece of it. Like, is it the time of day? Are we talking about a traumaversary? Is she having an internal experience? So this is this is a piece that um, Brian recently taught on. I mean, recently, like in the last couple of years. And it was the first time I ever heard him say it. And man, it was so powerful. When you come from places of trauma and deprivation, to the point that even having a need can become a trigger because if you have a need and you need to ask someone for help or express your need and in the past you've been severely punished, severely abused, you learn not to even ask and so you have a need come up and it can be the trigger. The internal process of simply having a need can be enough to drive this level of behavior. So it looks like it's coming out of nowhere, but for the internal process of this child, there may be something that it is directly connected to. And so that P, when I say journaling, I'm talking more about like, let's see if we can do some charting on this to see if there are any connections. There was a young lady, when I, like my experience with this, I've had a few families I've done coaching with who've had similar sorts of behaviors. And if you read the first part of this book right here, talks about in the trenches, this part of this book tells a very significant story for our family. And there was a young lady in our care. And if, if you didn't know all the ways that trauma affects a person. And this, the young lady who was in our care, in our home privately, she was out of foster care. She was 19. She aged out, well, she signed herself out of care at 18. Um, had a home, that didn't work out. She was then homeless. And so then she became, then we brought her to our family she stayed in our home for a while and then we found her a place to live and got her connected with social security and support services. But if you, in the, in the moments that things would happen, you might think it came out of nowhere. Even I might think it came out of nowhere because it did. Like there was no warning. There was no um, agitation beforehand that kind of let you know that she was, she would just be really quiet. She was always really quiet. And then there would be what seemed like these big explosions. And in this situation, it was very much, she had internal needs and had such a history of being institutionalized and being in care that she did not have, she did not feel that she had permission to even ask for simple needs to be met. So there she is with a need, right? I mean, when I just think about it, when I think about what that might feel like for a person, like the only, like I have little things in my life where I can relate to it, you know, like the little things like being taught not to ask to stop to get a pop on the way because you just don't ask. Or like 
when you're traveling in my family, it was like, you don't really ask to stop and go to the bathroom, especially if we just stopped to go to the bathroom an hour ago. You know, it's like, you don't do that. You're just going to have to hold it. So I have a little bit of a tiny, so like I have that experience of being told I can't ask for my need to be met. But what I don't have to go along with that is a history of abuse, a hypersensitive amygdala and tons of fear and fight, flight and freeze. And so that process where there is a need, experiencing a need, and then I have to, I, I can't even ask. And so the internal stress and then the combustion, I can imagine that could be part of what's going on. That could be the root of what's going on. The piece where she doesn't remember, and in this, in the, in the statement, what I hear that's not really said is that this mom doesn't really believe that she doesn't remember. So there's a lot of like questioning uh, the intent, questioning the heart of this child, questioning her honesty. Is she just attacking me? And then you know, denying that it ever happened, but it really did happen. Well, here's the thing. This this girl has a, a deep history, a very deep history of trauma. And one of the things that our brains do in the middle of trauma is we disassociate. It is a way that our brains protect. So you'll hear people, that's why people will be like, I have no memory of that. They'll have childhood trauma, and I'm not talking about the pre-verbal childhood trauma. I'm talking about, you know, being six, seven, eight, ten, and having zero memory of it that they can access. Now, that memory is somewhere in the mind-body system, and it's stored in the brain. It's stored at the cellular level, but the brain may have compartmentalized that away from being able to really access it because in the moment of the abuse, that person disassociated. They were no longer in their body because our brains do that to keep us protected. So when you're talking about violent behavior that seems to come out of nowhere, it may not actually be coming out of nowhere. When I layer that with the fact of age and I think about puberty, I also know that oftentimes if there's a history of sexual abuse, and then we have puberty, then everything about our biology can trigger the fight, flight, and freeze mechanism related to the sensitive amygdala and the trauma. So one of a lot of the things that I read with regards to disassociation and I, you know, I wouldn't say that this is dis disassociated identity disorder where there's multiple personalities but there are, are elements of disassociation that seem to be possible in what this mom has described. And that could very well be a trauma reaction because in the past, like our, her brain has got to a place where it can just check out for the purpose of survival, for the purpose of self-protection. So there's no real awareness on her part of what is happening it is very possible that that could be taking place. It So, you know, to say, you know, like, I don't really know if I believe that she didn't remember it. Mm, this is where I would be wanting to get 
they live in a different country. I would definitely want to get other professionals involved. I would be looking at people who specialize in intense trauma, looking at someone who specializes in disassociative states, looking at for somebody who uh, could be, you know, I know a lot of people who find EMDR to be really helpful. I know it's most helpful for single incidents trauma. Um, so I'd be a little cautious about that, but there are people who actually specialize in trauma and EMDR together. So I'd be, that was, that would be the route I would be going. I also wouldn't rule out the possibility of consulting with a neurologist and I wouldn't rule out the possibility of either doing like the urine testing that can do an assessment of hormones and neurotransmitters. So I'd really be wanting to crack the code on this because that would be a very difficult way to live. And unless the code is cracked, she's going to be in another treatment center and it's just going to continue and continue. It's just going to be one treatment center after another treatment center and she's going to turn 18 and then she's going to be either in the criminal justice system or she's going to be in and out of mental health hospitals. And so, and I know that there are, I've heard there have been a few other parents commenting here and there in the last couple of weeks. So I know that this, this isn't an isolated kind of situation. Now the frequency of these kinds of things occurring um, in terms of the disassociated state, the statistics that I said is it's like 1% uh, the most, 4 to 5%. Some people do experience like in the moments of stress, uh, massive grief, massive loss. There are elements of disassociation. You know, walking around in that fog is a disassociated state where you're not fully present. That's not that unusual for that to occur during different phases. So I just, I really felt like this was, because in this world that we live in of parenting children who come from tough places, parenting children who have experienced not like extreme trauma, that would be, you know, we want to talk about that here. We want to talk about that with you all because there's not going to be very many people who are out there talking about this. So we want to be the place that talks about the things that not just everybody's going to talk about. And so this is real and it really occurs. And everything I just talked about gives you a foundation for how and why it occurs and different things that can be going on that can be a piece of why it's occurring. And the ideas that I have you know, obviously I'm looking at, let's get some, let's get some professionals involved. Those would be the therapeutic pathways that I would look at. And then, I mean, if we're talking, I mean, if we're seriously talking about that level of aggression and it's really coming out of the blue and it's really that intense, I mean, pushing me in the corner and punching me in the face, I'm going to shut down everything until I can figure out, like, talk about school's not important. I mean, until we can get, until we can figure out what it is that's happening, this is not a safe situation. It's not safe for this young lady. It's not safe for the adults there. You know, if she's disassociating and in that disassociative state, she's doing things that are that level of aggression. We really need to like eliminate all of the stress until we can figure out 
how much this young lady can manage without it pushing her over the edge. And maybe we can see what we can find out about whether or not there this is related to an internal trigger, an internal state, like having a need and not feeling like you can ask for the need to be met. And so, um, yeah, since we want to be the place that we talk about things that happen in this world of parenting, then we want to be able to talk about these things as well. And so, um, yeah, the fact that she's in high school, then I think about, I didn't really finish that thought, so let me come back to it. When there's been sexual abuse, and then, uh, be it male or female, there could be lots of challenges before puberty, but when puberty hits, it can really be hyper-triggering to a person who has experienced childhood sexual abuse. So I know we've talked about that in other, so, you know, you start layering, you have the natural, the hormones that we all have and the experiences that everybody has in terms of starting their period, getting puber care, having breasts, um, all the things that young men go through. And then when you layer that natural biological process onto massive trauma, it can really be a trigger and it can, so... And then all, you know, our emotions and our hormones, like, whoo, right? And so that it's a big bundle. It, it's multi-layered. That's when it's multi-layered, it's not like there's just going to be like an easy solution. So the intervention to this, especially if we're talking about disassociation, we're talking about emotional regression, very possibly cognitive delays. And then we have this out of the blue aggression. This isn't something I would be punishing. I don't know that this young lady has any control over any of it. So I would start with the assumption that she doesn't and begin to work from there to help figure out what it is that's going on. And in the meantime, as a parent, I'm just going to do everything that I can to create a as little stress and as much connection as I possibly can. So um, I hope there's something in that that's helpful. I know this message is probably unique to very unique to a very unique uh, niche of of children and families, but I also know that it's prevalent enough that we need to be able to talk about it. So again, this week we're focusing on what do we do to address behavior challenges. If we're not using consequences, rewards, corporal punishment, timeout, grounding, things of that nature. And so this is speaking to that specific sort of situation where things become really violent, seemingly out of the blue. So, if you've not already done so today, push pause on everything. Take some deep breaths. Get yourself grounded. Get yourself calm. Get the position of your heart back in that space of remembering what we came into this for, and that's about sharing love and helping people feel loved. And go spend time with your children. Let the love you have from them shine from your eyes. Let them feel it. Let it just permeate from your being. Remind them how adorable they are, how much you love them. Find at least one or two unique qualities that you can speak to. Even if it's been the crappiest day ever, something you can come back to. Like, 
for me and my son, no matter how crazy things would get and how often, like, what kind of behavior, what the heck are you doing? <sighs> he has one of the sweetest, most sensitive hearts of anybody I've ever met in my life. And it was always something he and I agreed on. So find that thing, that characteristic that you and your child can agree on that's amazing that they possess and pour love into them. That's where all the good things grow from. Everything you're wanting for your relationship, everything you're wanting for your children is right on the other side of the relationship you're building. Relationship is the vehicle for creating all the other wonderful things. And remember, at any given moment, we can act out of our blueprints of stress and fear and overwhelm. We can take one to two to three deep breaths and we can choose love. Much love to you guys. Have a blessed evening and we'll see you all tomorrow. If you have any specific behaviors that you want to get some feedback or insight into, just shoot us a message through Instant Messenger. Take care.